Well, good evening, everybody. How are we doing? Good. Good. Okay, good. Uh, my name is Matt Moberg. If this is your first time through, we're really happy to see you. We expected actually a little bit of a lighter crowd tonight, and to see you fill these pews the way that you did is really a pretty thing. Go on and give yourself a round of applause or something, huh? And Keon and Sheems, have you ever heard somebody do the Advent readings the way that they just did? Give them a round of applause. Ah. Okay, we're going through the story of Christmas. We're looking at uh, the life of Mary and how she received and stepped into said story. And um, we're looking at it through the lens of the risk of birth, the Madeleine Langell poem, where it asks the question of, in the midst of all of the chaos that is happening, in the midst of everything that is hitting the fan, how do you still produce something good and lovely and true and beautiful in a world that's upside down? And so to carry our story forward, we're going to go to Luke 139 uh, through 56. It's a little bit lengthy, but stay with me. It reads like this. At the time, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. I can't read this. Let me, give me a moment here. Oh, that you can't read that either. What is going on right now? Okay, let me try it again. There we go. Let me try it again. Get off there, baby. Is it one of those nights? We're good. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Every night when I come home, the baby in my wife's womb just starts jumping all around. It's a beautiful thing. This isn't about me, though. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And here's where we're going to focus tonight. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And Mary then stayed with Elizabeth, who was in her third trimester at that time, for about three more months until the baby would come. And as somebody who was living with somebody in their third trimester, I don't know why she did that, but just kidding. Okay, I take it back. Bad comedy so far, Matt. Try again. Let me go a different note and tell you about it. Um, I had a highlight of my week. You guys want to know about it? Um, 
Really was, I thought my wife was going to have a baby, so didn't really plan a sermon. What do you guys want to talk about tonight, by the way? <laughs> um, had a highlight in my week. A lot of people get into the pastoral vacation, vocation, vocation for different reasons. Some it is God has called them. Others, they believe that it's through, you know, this space that they can love others well. I did it in hopes that I'd get free Timberwolves tickets at some point in my life. And on Monday night, that aim was fully achieved. I finally, after years of being kind and serving, finally got the call from the powers that be that said, Matt, you can come to the Target Center tonight and be our guest. And not just sit in the stands for a free ticket, but also I got to lead the team in chapel prior to. Now, recognize, this is a big deal for me. No, I don't have like a glowing athletic history. I peaked in church basketball high school where like you are running around in cargo shorts on a carpet floor. So no, I don't have that kind of thing. But like I love the Timberwolves. I love the Timberwolves. If I had my druthers about it, my bedroom would be filled with like Carl Anthony Towns posters and Derrick Rose posters. But I married an adult and so we can't do that in in our house. But I was nervous. And so I tried to play it cool the best way that I could and um, went into the, the press conference room where the chapel was being held. And I had like all these different like Herb Brooks speeches in my head, like how am I going to be the wind beneath the wolf's wings tonight? And, and I thought I'd get them where they need to go. They're playing the Houston Rockets and in walked one Timberwolves player and three Rockets players, just the four of us having a cozy little time. So I couldn't do Herb Brooks at that point, not with three Rockets and one wolf. So I went from Brooks to the Bible, and um, everything was going well. Jumped into Mark 5, and we started, you know, it, it was going well. Felt like there was a natural rhythm. Things were, were falling into place accordingly. But then the man of all men walked into the room, the beard amongst the boys, the person who many people have actually compared my physical form to, <laughs> James Harden, steps inside of the room, and you have never seen a sermon like start to slip and slide the way that that one did right there. Immediately, I was speaking in tongues, just stumbling and mumbling, and I couldn't make up my mind if I wanted to go get a selfie with him or just stay and finish what I was here to do. It was a very awkward moment. I was very overwhelmed, uncomfortable, but then what made it even more bizarre is that I looked around the room, and nobody else was freaking out. It was just me. That was acting like an idiot. I tell you that because I thought that I'd only feel that feeling once this week back on Monday. And so I'm surprised that I'm feeling it again right now on this Sunday. Because look at you all, filling these pews, looking all pretty and prim and proper, fully at peace, as if Mary didn't just walk into the room with explosives tied to her song. Mary steps into this story, this scripture that we just read, and she comes into the room with boots strapped on her feet, with the flag of the empire fully on fire, and with the song that sounds like Karl Marx may have written it. And yet we hear that, and we don't feel that. We brush it off. Isn't that nice? The Magnificat, sweet old Mary, blessed be the fruit, right? I mean, God bless you. But this is a fight song. Mary, whose name in Hebrew, Miriam, actually means rebel. She walks into the room as a rebel with a revolutionary song on her tongue. And we treat it as if she's singing Hillsong and not Nina Simone. 
as if this is DC Talk and not NWA. This is not the kind of track that you casually just wrap your gifts to. This is high treason, what she is saying right here. And so from the Judean hills, she shouts this song that had Herod been close enough to hear it, she would have been done. But we don't feel it. We don't feel the fight inside of it. We don't sing this song with her with our fists all bald. We read this story with our eyes feeling a little sleepy. And, and I think I know why that is. Because I think I know where we are. I, I figured it out the other night. Um, have you guys heard of Google Earth? Sounds like a dumb question. Literally had not heard of it until about five days ago. You guys should be ashamed of yourselves from holding out on me because it has changed my life dramatically. <laughs> Google Earth, the little app that you can go through and see the totality of the world as it currently stands. You can get 3D form, which will cost you all kinds of sleep. And I was on it the other night, and I, and I did some looking around from coast to coast. So I, I traveled the globe. It's amazing how you have this thing where you can see the whole world, and yet you find you, you're spending most of your time just looking at your own house. Like, it's like, we're not using this right. But I was traveling through Google Earth there night. I went to Rome, saw the Colosseum, went to Prague, saw St. Charles Bridge, went to Cinque Terre, saw the colors. I went to my elementary school. Uh, I went to a lot of different places, but there was one scene in particular that I got stuck, and it was this spot right here. Now, upon first glance, you might be wondering why. Because it looks like Iowa. It, it, there's not much to write home about in this spot right here. You might assume that I've stayed in this spot because of its beauty. There is a Christmas-like quaintness to it. It looks like it could have fallen straight out of a Thomas Kincaid painting, especially with those Christmas trees kind of littered to and fro, especially the trees that are standing tall in the background. But that's not why I got stuck in this spot here. I didn't get stuck in this spot here because I was captivated by the village in front of the trees, but because I was captivated by the violence that went down behind them. You see, this is a Polish town named Oskbinskin, or as we would all commonly refer to it in its German name as Auschwitz. And what's amazing is if you actually move into this picture and you start to pan up and go from this idealistic image of this quaint little village you start to see what lies behind those trees. A space where 1.1 million people walked into and never did walk out. You start to pan up, you start to see the reality of that city. If you could only get above the Christmas trees, the decor that stands and recognize that some things that are here for a celebration also might be here to keep a secret. When you start to stop staring at the trees, pan upwards and get an aerial view, you might see things a little bit differently. And Mary is singing her song, asking us to do just that. Because it's amazing what we could see if we looked at the story and then allowed ourselves to pan up. If we would look at the woman that we refer to as the Virgin Mary, whose sex life is literally tied to how we name her. And then we look around and we see the women around us who have lost their names to over-sexualized men who have taken it from them. 
if we would see the story of the holy family that has been on the run trying to get away from Herod's sword, to seeing the families that are cramming inside of the caravan who are trying to do the exact same thing. If we would take our eyes off the Disneyification of the manger that the Messiah was born in, and we'd start to see the others who have also been left outside. You see, when we read this text, the rebels rally cry. Do we actually hear it from how she is singing it? From the Judean hills next to her older cousin who is pregnant with a miraculous baby, you have this teenage girl who is lifting up a cry against Caesar, against Herod, against every empire that covers every inch of that land and the lands that still would come. And she cries out. And Mary sings this song so that we may finally be a people who see her struggle. So that we who are living on this side of the trees, and by we I especially mean white, educated, heterosexual people who claim place and existence inside of dominant society. We who were born on third base convinced that we had hit a triple. For people like that, if we would have the courage to leave the cush and the cozy and make our way past the trees where we can have Christmas inside of the camps, perhaps we'll understand what Mary sees when she sings her song. This is the story of Christmas. This is where it's coming. It's that guttural, brave, rebels rally cry. The light of the world resting inside of the womb of a woman, inviting us to come over there and believe what she says and believe how she sees and sing with her when we see it. Now, there's resistance, right? Because you read the text like this and you read about thrones being emptied and hungry stomachs being filled and there's a part of us that goes, that sounds beautiful, uh, unlikely, utopian, idealistic out of reach, disconnected from reality. And so for people who are on this side of the trees, we think about that and we go, well, there's nothing we can do. It's beautiful again, Mary. We're all about it. We'll cheer you on. But that's not a real way to put our boots on the ground and start moving towards something good. Our imaginations get stunted by all these questions of implementation, and yet the prophetic church and the people who claim a prophetic faith, they head to the camp anyways, and they ask where the baby's being born. They look for the woman who is carrying the Christ in her stomach and who is crying out for you to see the struggle, for you to see where the light is entering into the darkness in that moment right there. I had a friend. I have friends in general. I do. But I had a friend in particular who was, um, I was talking with him about how Christmas is one of the most beautiful stories of liberation that we have. This beautiful story where Christ becomes fully human, but not just fully human. He belongs to a people who have been marginalized, decentered, exploited, and oppressed for centuries upon centuries. That's where Jesus first chose to put skin upon his body. And as we're talking about this, when we talk about the insurrection of Christmas and all that is being unveiled inside of Mary's song and all the hopes and fears of all the years, how it all culminates in the Christ child being born there and the call that is at hand and the invitation that is in place, my friend turns to me feeling uncomfortable. I can see it in his face. And he says to me, 
Obviously, there's a lot we wish we could do about the, the homeless at the encampment. Obviously, there's a lot that we, we wish we could do about sex trafficking across the globe. Obviously, there's a lot that we wish we could do about this or wish we could do about that. But we must remember that Jesus is the one who said that the poor will always be with us. To which I said, do you know who said that first? Because that line is not original to Jesus. It's Jesus doing a cover song of somebody else's original material. The person who wrote it first was the person who wrote Deuteronomy. And do you know the context in which that person wrote it? The Deuteronomist said, because your hearts have grown so cold, the poor will always be with us. Advent is a season where we rewarm our hearts because the poor are with us. The herd are with us. The least of these, they're with us. And so will we have the courage to leave the cushion, the cozy, and go to the camps and actually be with them? To move past the decor, the lights, the glitz, the glamour, and go into the substance of things. Do not tokenize matters of justice, but actually take them on. Because center to being a Christian is living in this place where your calling is to carry Christ in a way that makes you sing the, about a world that should be and step into the work that's required of making it so. How do we do that, though? Realistically, what does that look like? Well, I think Mary gives us an example here in this space. At the end of her song, oh, that's happening again, huh? At the end of her song, she says, or it says, Luke writes that Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned back home. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for three months. My family, my mom is, is um, she's, no, well, she's inviting us to serve on Christmas Day down at the homeless shelter. And it's a beautiful thing, but that's not what this is. It's not a dine-a-ditch type thing. If you want to get into the substance of the work of justice, it's going to require you to stop and then to also stay. To think big about thrones being emptied and st empty stomachs being filled, about wealth being equally distributed, about income inequality becoming no more of an issue any longer. It's going to require you to have a vision like that, but then you need to look around you and say, who is the person who I can love on next? Where are the lowly that need to be lifted in this place right here? Whether we're talking about racial justice work here in the city of Minneapolis or we're talking about the homeless encampment, whatever it might be, so often the work gets stunted and comes to a full stop because it thinks about all these grandiose ideas and it doesn't do the small things with staying some, with somebody until the baby is finally born. Staying with somebody until new life is, comes to full birth. But Oswald Chambers, he gives this beautiful quote where he says this. The great hindrance in our spiritual lives is that we look for big things to do. Jesus took a towel and he started to wash feet. When I hear Mary sing that song, when I hear that rebel rise up in the Judean hills, it is a reminder both that yes, we should be grateful for the things that we have, but we also should be deeply dissatisfied 
with that which we don't. And that shouldn't be just an emotional reaction. It should be expressed and then it should be embodied. Collectively as a community, as individuals, will we be those people who can sing about the light of the world because we're seeing it and we're stepping into it in day-to-day -day lives? Will you pray with me? Christ, we think about your mother tonight, God. And we recognize that all of your prophetic power and passion, it must come from her. Uh, Jesus, that you grew up hearing these songs from her. You grew up hearing her sing about a better world that was on its way. And then you lived into it. You went all the way to the cross, trusting that the only kind of love that was worth actually living into was the kind that was willing to be wounded, that we don't respond to Caesar with swords, but with songs, not with more violence, but with a better vision, that we take the towel and we start washing dirty feet, because that's the invitation of the Christmas season. We heard your mother say it so herself. Christ, give us the courage to be the people that you've called us to be. Give us the eyes to see beyond the trees and give us the willingness to enter into the places where we'd rather not go. In Christ's name, we all pray together. Amen. I really, I like that idea of rewarming our hearts because I also really like that quote that was up there by Chambers that says that it's not all these really huge things. Um, I think it's a lot of things that we do here. I think it's a lot of things that we think don't matter. It's a lot of just being with people and sharing food and doing things that make people feel like they belong. Um, and I think that's what Jesus was doing on the night when he was betrayed. Um, because I think for a lot of the disciples and his friends that were there, they didn't really think that it was going to be this crazy thing that was happening because he just had dinner with them. Um, and he broke that bread and he said, this is my body that's broken for you. And I don't know if they fully understood that when he said that, but we know how important and at the same time really simple that it is now. Um, and at that same time, he poured some wine into a cup, another really basic thing, and said, this is my blood that was shed for you. Um, and we know now how important that is and how amazing that is, but I don't know if they knew that at the time. And I think that's one of the coolest things and most amazing things about that is it's so simple. Um, and so uh, as we start going to communion, we will have uh, three stations. We'll have gluten-free elements in the middle um, and then elements on either side. Um, before we do that, why don't we say that prayer together that Jesus taught his friends how to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the power and the glory, the glory forever.